Chapter Six of Sister Simon's Murder Case by Margaret Ann Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Six. Mr. Waddy had not gone home. The early morning sunlight, falling through the Venetian blinds of his office, laid neat slats across the tapestried wall and across Mr. Waddy himself on the Davenport. When a slat touched his face, he opened his eyes, blinked, and crooked an arm up to shut away the light. It was a little hard for him to tell whether he had been asleep. He did not feel either drowsy or rested, and what he remembered of the night was certainly not a dream. Shading his eyes with his hand, he looked across the room to the clock on the desk. Six o'clock. It wasn't too early to make the phone call. Vince was an early riser. Mr. Waddy sat up and reached for his high-laced shoes. Not for years had he spent a night at the mortuary. Mrs. Waddy had been somewhat difficult to convince that there was a real need for him to remain here, but in the lethargy of two o'clock in the morning she had been unable to produce much argument. He hadn't known himself exactly why he felt he should stay. Only seeing Danny again, and like that. He tied the shoelace into a bow-knot pulling at the loops until they were precisely the same size. Then, dangling the other shoe, he looked up and around the room. He had chosen every detail so carefully. The wallpaper was like woven grass, softly green and tan. The tapestry of ladies and prancing white horses was the museum piece. The carpet was a lovely continuation of shaded green, and against it the cherry-colored chairs and the mahogany desk were richly set off. A far cry, all of it, from the bare room in the back of the furniture store where he had started his undertaking business. The preparation table, then, had been a storm door laid on sawhorses, the caskets nothing more than grim black boxes, and he had so little in the way of supplies to make a dead person look presentable, especially one who had died in a fire. Mist swam before Mr. Waddy and the cherry-colored chairs. Fumbling with his other shoe, he pulled out the laces and had to wipe his eyes with the back of his hand before he could see to thread them in again. He was feeling seedy after sleeping in his clothes. He'd get his face washed, then he'd brighten up. When Mr. Whitey came out of the laboratory off the office, his hair was combed and his glasses polished. There was even an imitation of his customary briskness, and the way he slipped off his coat and snapped shut the Venetian blinds to keep out the heat. His hand was on the telephone when a light knock came at the door. "'Come in,' Mr. Waddy said. A tall, very bald man let himself in and closed the door behind him. "'You're early, Snodgrass.' "'Yes, sir. I saw the morning paper. The minute I read about it, I knew it was she.' The man came across to the desk with a light step. He leaned so close that Mr. Waddy could catch the scent of shaving lotion on his smooth cheeks. "'She was here, sir.' Last night, she asked for you. The old gentleman laid his hand on his watch chain. He felt as if he were going down very fast in an elevator. Why wasn't I summoned, Snodgrass? You had just left for the country. Mr. Waddy's eyes fell to the desk, to the picture of the grandchildren under the plate glass. Almost any evening of the whole year he would have been available. Tell me about her, John. That was all, Mr. Waddy. When I said you weren't here, she seemed terribly disappointed. She wanted to wait, but I knew you'd stop off at home, just as you did, sir, and I told her that. Didn't I do right? What else could you have done? But she was so frightened, Mr. Waddy, scared to death. She wouldn't even tell me her name. The man's voice rose. 
I feel now as if I, my goodness, I should have put her on a slab if I had to, just to keep her here. Mr. Waddy cleared his throat. Snodgrass's fingertips, pressed on the desk, showed nails freshly bitten to the quick. The role of the comforter had never been difficult for Henry Waddy, but now, perhaps because he needed comfort himself, he could find none to pass on. He took Snodgrass by the arm. The arm was tense. All Mr. Waddy could do was to pat it. His voice was gone. Snodgrass had been with him a long time, but not long enough to have known Danny. "'Go down and make us some coffee, John,' Mr. Waddy said when he could speak. Snodgrass's coffee was like seepage from a swamp, but it would be a distraction. "'Go on. I'll be down as soon as I water the cactus.' The man left. Picking up the telephone, Mr. Waddy dialed. "'Vince? Henry, could you come over?' "'Yes. Danny, isn't it?' "'How did you know?' "'Radio.' The line went dead. That was Vince, no waste of words. Mr. Waddy went into the lavatory, ran a cup half full of water, and spilled it on the cactus as he did every morning. Then, setting the door ajar behind him, he went out of the office. The hall was still shadowy. Up a couple of steps was the general office. Down a few was another door opening off a small landing. Mr. Waddy glanced toward neither. Close to the railing side, he proceeded down the stairs. More than once in the past, Mr. Waddy had come into the airiness of the entrance hall and felt a definite lifting of spirits. On the bottom step he paused, hoping for the lift to come. Trying to help it along, he reviewed how well he had done with transforming the old house. The wide archway made only a gesture of separating the hall from the drawing-room chapel, giving spaciousness to both. Mr. Waddy never had cared about pews. Folding chairs sufficed for funerals, and between times, as at present, they could disappear, restoring the pleasant living-room atmosphere. The only feature not commonly found in living-rooms was a large recess in the wall opposite the archway. Now the recess held a coffee-table, upon which stood a pink cyclamen in full bloom. The soft pinks and grays were repeated in the upholstered chairs, davenports, drapes, and carpet, a gently cheering combination. Abruptly Mr. Waddy's head turned toward the narrow hall leading off the lobby, the workrooms were back there. Some too discreet sound had caught his attention. Snodgrass, is that you? But not even Snodgrass's version of coffee could be ready yet, and Ted wouldn't be up. Once, long ago, the boys had left the rear door unlocked and a tramp had wandered in. Mr. Waddy started to investigate. The small corridor was so dark that he was well in before he recognized his visitor. Oh, he said, Vince. Well, I didn't think you could get here so soon. It almost seemed from his position that Vince had just come out of the preparation room. Mr. Waddy knew better than to inquire. I hope I didn't phone you too early. No. Vince always talked that way, as if he hated people, and mostly he did. Henry Waddy was about his only friend. The fellow belonged in the woods, really. Tall and gaunt as a Norway pine, he looked like a lumberjack in the plaid shirt and heavy boots he always wore. You'd never take him for a millionaire. Although there was no big timber left in these days, nothing but pulpwood, still he kept to the woods. Perhaps, Mr. Waddy decided, it would be best to disregard the possibility that Vince had already been in the preparation room. I want you to see her, Vince, he said. If you'll step aside, yes, thank you. 
Together they entered the room, white and clean as a surgery. The one window had a beveled pane with a rim of blue stained glass, and the sun laid a blue rectangle on the gray terrazzo floor. Mr. Waddy opened his collar and wheeled out a white-sheeted stretcher, pushing and pulling, until he had it exactly right. Slowly he lifted the hem of the sheet, folded it back and down until the small face was uncovered. Part of the blue line of light lay across the face like a frame. Vince drew an audible breath. Considerately, Mr. Waddy did not look at him, but he did note that Vince's horny hands made lumps in his pockets, like knots on an oak tree. I hadn't seen her for years, Mr. Waddy said. She came here last night, asking for me. I was out. Would you have any idea what she wanted, Vince? No. You hadn't talked with her lately? No. Mr. Waddy's glance flicked his friend. The bony jaw was dark and unshaven, the muscles tight. She reminds me of Elizabeth, Mr. Waddy said. Elizabeth MacArthur's dead twenty years. In a near room, a radio blasted on and was immediately quieted to a drumbeat. Mr. Waddy cocked his head in a listening attitude that had become a mannerism. Yes, well, twenty years is nearly a generation, isn't it? If you mean the girl, Diane, she's grown up. I was thinking of Elizabeth. Vince finally looked at him, and Mr. Waddy continued. She was the first one I used the wax on. She wasn't too badly burned, considering she was in the house when it went, but I couldn't have let anyone see her without the wax. One of the nuns, can you think of her name, Vince, a strapping big woman, she said I'd made her natural as life. He paused, but Vince made no reply. We still use the wax in the same way, only now we rebuild features, mostly after auto accidents. It's very soft, to prevent cracking, and people are sometimes curious. They want to touch a face and fingers leave dents so we draped the veil of net from the lid of the casket out over. Vince wheeled. Before he could reach the door, the old gentleman's quiet voice stopped him. You understand my code of ethics, Vince. I never volunteer information. If the police want to get something out of me, they have to obtain a court order to do it. Not that I wish to place obstacles in their way, but I feel very strongly. You've told me before, Henry. I feel very strongly that a funeral director must never be connected with anything in the least sensational. It would be bad, very bad for my name to be linked with this case in any way. Again Mr. Waddy paused. There may be no reason, of course, to dig into the past. Can't we wait and see? Certainly. There was a ragged look about Vince that Mr. Waddy couldn't bear. I'll see that she has a nice funeral. I can't exclude the thrill-seekers, I'm afraid, for the manner of her death invites them, but I'll make sure there is no disrespect. No point in continuing. Vince had charged out into the hall as if the whole place were crammed with underbrush to be trampled down. Mr. Waddy cocked his head, listening. You couldn't exactly say that Vince slammed the door, but you did know, unmistakably, that he had gone out. Mr. Waddy drew a deep breath. He must not keep Danny out here in the warmth too long. The sun had moved, laying the blue frame a little closer about her face. Women always fascinated him from the time they attained the use of reason, at the approximate age of three, until they were carried in through his back door. You'd almost swear that some of them, during their last seconds of life, had stood before the pearly gates and seen inside. The men, judging from their expressions, might have gone anywhere. The women made you believe in heaven. Yes, well. 
Mr. Waddy said aloud. With a delicate sort of tenderness, the old gentleman laid the sheet back in place. If the call hadn't come to take him away last night, if he had been able to talk with Danny, but why go over it in vain regretting? Vince was the one to think of now. End of chapter 6